Welcome to the Everyman Sports Podcast, the show for fans, by fans. No former pros, no so-called experts, just real passionate fans. From outside on a porch to inside a living room, in the parking lot of a stadium to the dining room table, friends and families chat about their teams, their games, and what makes them cheer. This is Everyman Sports. Hello and welcome to another episode of Everyman Sports. My name is Chad. I'm the owner-operator of this podcast. Our number is 626-427-7678. That's 626-427-7678. You can find us across social media at Everyman Sports. With me this week is my dad. How you doing, Dad? Hey, I'm doing great. Excellent. Um, we also have a special correspondence from Alex from across mm-hmm. the pond. So we'll have to get to that later in the episode talking about the English Premier League. But... Let's talk about football American style, if we must. And let's start off with the what was Championship Sunday in the NFL. And started off, it's funny, it seemed like these games were opposites of what everybody assumed the weekend would go. Because they assumed that New England would kind of blow out the Jags, and that the Eagle-Viking game would be very close. And as it turns out, it was just the opposite. Which goes to show you... You know, really, in the end, what we know about, what any of us know about football. Yeah, anything can happen. Yeah, for sure. And what any, oh boy, what was something? Uh, Patriots pulled out another one, 24-20, down, what, seven? How much were they down at halftime? I don't even know anymore. I don't care. <laughs> uh, I'm just fed up with it. It's uh, sickening. Um, they were down 14-7 at halftime. The biggest lead they had overcome was 10 points, and, you know, they won. What's new? Like, it's it's just boring. Yeah. Um, so what does he do? What's, what's the secret? I, I just want to know how, it, uh, you know, Americans have perfected the game of football. Yes or no? Yes. Uh, no, it's a, an evolving game. Right, I know, but what I'm... Not perfected yet. Right, but when you've got football lifers, when you have people... I've been in I've been in football for 50 right. years, and I've been doing this since my father was, my grandfather was. A, how is Bill... Look, I understand, yes, Bill Belichick is brilliant. How is he the only one? Like, the, uh, I, I think now we have to say Tom Coughlin is just as brilliant because he was able to beat him twice. But is is that it? Is well, I don't know, but no, come on. What are you talking about? What did they won six six Super Bowls? They've been in eight, five, what, five, and they five, They've won five. This is their eighth appearance. Belichick and Brady. So there you go. I know, but it's it, it's just very strange just to say like this. This is it. Like nobody. Like it doesn't matter how much more time you spend it. That you well, set the bar pretty high. Right, I understand that. And look. You know, uh, Lombardi. Well, Vince Lombardi, he, he, you know, he started it. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't end it. No, but his was he was nine and one in championship games, which lasted, I think, like a total of six years or something. Seven, like their run, the Packers run at the top. Um, right. From gosh, when when did he? Oh, boy, when did he go to... Because he, the first, he he lost the, was it, the 1960 championship game against the Eagles, if I remember well, correctly? listen, I mean, he ended up as the Washington Redskins head coach, so, you know, nothing's forever. No, no, of course not, which, uh, it, yeah, so uh, hold on, let me let me pull this up for a second. All right, starting in 19, from 1960 to 1967, technically 1968, because the Super Bowl was played in... The year 1968, but he was 9-1 in the playoffs in 10 game, in ten playoff games. I remember that was, you know, the most was three playoff games that he had to play, that the Packers had to play in right. 1967, because um, I guess there was a, yeah. a, a one-game playoff. So, but still, that that's, you know, not a 900 well, winning percentage. You had the Shula run, you had the uh, Chuck Noll in, in Pittsburgh. Yeah. I mean, but, but nothing like, like this Patriot thing. It's legendary. <laughs> Right, of course it's legendary, and to see that, so that's what I'm saying with the evolve, the evolving game, and how it has become. So I mean, that was, you know, when we talk about the old style of football where it was just power, you know, lacking finesse, and now we're right. in the matchup of power and finesse. You'll have the ones that can, 
like, you know, Shula won a bunch, but also Madden won one. And then, you know, pockets here and there of, you know, really good to really great along the way. You know, even though the even though the Bills lost four in a row, they still made it four in a row, which shows their dominance in the AFC during that time. Um, you know, Bud Grant, you know, even though they didn't win, they still won four times in the decade of the 70s. Chuck Knox with the Rams and, you know, uh, Walsh and Seifert and, and on and on and on. But it's just like there's Belichick and there's really nobody else, which yeah. is just strange because... I think it can be admitted that the game is so, you know, it's so ever-consuming that people are in football much more than they were then. So how were there that many more great coaches then and, like, one great coach now? Hmm. That's just my... Yeah, well, winning can do that to you. Well, of course, yes. Uh, but I just don't understand how some teams just... Why are you running the ball... Up the gut, three straight drives are the Jaguars. Like, I don't under Like, we watched that game together with a host of other people, and every time they got the ball on first down uh, in the fourth quarter, in three, three separate drives, first one was up the gut, and for no yards. For no, even in that last one where they were far back in their zone. Yeah, well, they thought they could impose their will. I let, listen, they lost because they weren't creative. No. No, again, concern. Right. Well, and it's growing pains. It is. But, but they'll be back. I know, but this was as great a chance as you're going to get, you know, and the defense just. It's hard to win in, in New England. It's hard to win in New England. And, you know, look, the refs did not win the game for the Patriots, and I'm not even going to give much credence to the, you know, <laughs> One time ex- is expiring. The uh, the head the referee went up to Brady and shook his hand because actually they showed that Bortles at the beginning of the game the ref went up to Bortles and shook his hand. So I'm not going to give credence to that. And you know how much I hate Brady and the Patriots. So I'm not going to even say the refs were in on that thing. But one penalty, yes, Bill Belichick runs a very tight ship and he demands discipline on the field. But I'll tell you what. There was a definite hold on that last Deion Lewis run that sealed the deal for the game. Uh, for it was the holding all day long. Right. And now while the Jaguars weren't in the backfield the whole game, they weren't unstoppable. You're telling me in that fourth quarter they got zero pressure? All of a sudden all of a sudden that offensive line gelled and they finally were able to stop this defensive pass uh, rush? No. So there was definitely some missed calls. Six on the on the Jags, including... Now, what did you think just before the half um, of that pass interference call all the way down pretty much to the goal line where they where Cooks went out of bounds? Uh, A.J. Uh, Bouye, he had a terrible game against Cooks. I mean, Cooks mm-hmm. let him up for 100. But that one... What did you think about that pass interference call? No, yeah. It's, it's, hey, there's never a good time for that. No. No, and I will say that this postseason, the refs have been very good about tucking, you know, not throwing it unless it's blatant, which is good. You let the teams play, let it work itself out. Um, but I, yeah, I don't know. And I, I just, the Jaguars had so many, I, <laughs> that fumble that Miles Jack recovered, like, when was that ever going to happen again? In New England. Like, how is that going to get called? And it did, and it was it was fantastic, but... I don't know. I was burnt out after that game for obvious reasons. So, yeah, uh, it was it was stressful, right? But who didn't know that you know you uh, New England's getting touchdowns, Jags are getting field goals. You know that was going to come back to burn them. And yeah, and look, Bortles played a really good game, but the problem was that you know Marone and the offensive um, coaching staff knew what Bortles is which he can be up and down, and he can be very sketchy in terms of you know gameplay and uh, making mistakes. So they definitely took the ball out of his hands, and he didn't lose the game, but he definitely didn't win either, and you can't do that against against this team. So it's... Yeah, another one bites the dust. Yeah. So Patriots go on to another Super Bowl. Yay. 
Meanwhile, the Philadelphia game against the Minnesota Vikings turned out, I mean, it started off pretty good. Set, you know, uh, a quick strike with the Vikings, 7 nothing up, and then Eagles didn't do much on their first possession. And then that pick six of Keenum, where he, he weaved his way back. Who was that, Darby? Weaved his way back to score a touchdown. And the game was pretty much over there. That was a knockout punch for the Vikings that early. They got... <laughs> Well, listen, they played their best game in Minnesota. I mean, we suspected that. And really, they should have lost that game. Oh, Patrick well, yeah. Patrick Robinson, I'm sorry, intercepted, 50-yard pass, 50-yard uh, interception. So, yeah, I mean, they, they should have lost that game against the Saints. And then, you know, no. Yeah, they you, they definitely did. Um, well, you start believing your own, uh, you know, press report. And this... The Vikings have not done, ever since, you know, the aforementioned Bud Grant in the 70s, they have not uh, done well in these championship games. Well, I mean, the Bills, the Eagles, I mean, you know, certain franchises that do disappoint. Right. And the New England Patriots aren't one of them. No. But, I mean, all right, so here are the last, so since... The last Super Bowl appearance was 1976, was the Vikings, so 1977, technically. So 1976, uh, 76 season. So 1977, 1987, 1998, 2000, and 2009, oh, and 2017 have all been uh, conference championship losses, with these last four being really monumental. There was the 15-1 game, of course, Gary Anderson's missed field goal. Then two years later against the Giants where they lost 41 to nothing. And, the you know, Kerry Collins threw up and down the field against them. 2009, that was the, um, uh, what do you want to call it, Bounty Gate. That was the Bounty Game against Favre in uh, right. New Orleans. And now here's another embarrassing loss for them in uh, the conference championship. So Minnesota is on a terrible, terrible snide. And that's the... Well, the question is if... Aaron Rodgers was playing the whole year. Would they be where they were? Probably not. But that's the other thing. You know, th- this so, was so, yeah. They didn't take. They're not taking advantage of opportunity. Obviously, same way with the Jaguars, where you know they could be back again. But I mean, we've seen it before where they don't come back. Um, Jaguars—that's an up-and-coming franchise. Yeah, it's an up-and-coming franchise. But still, you just look around and you say, "Hey, they'll be back. Hey, they've got a couple more." No, they don't have any. No, money. yeah, I get it. I get it. So you can't depend on anything except the Patriots in the playoffs. Right. And so when you get to when if you're the Vikings and you say Rodgers is down and out. We won the division. We 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 got our record was good enough to host um you know take a bye week off for a second, you know. Uh yeah, but how did that defense break discipline like that? I mean, they they really got I mean, you know, to be susceptible to the flea flicker more than once. Come on. There was a lot. I will say there was a lot of flea flickers this past weekend. Well, it was no <laughs> penetration, no penetration. No. <laughs> Back on their heels, they they were guessing, and that that's not what got them there. No, no, it definitely is not. It's not. Yeah. So it was just really interesting. So now we go to an Eagle Patriot game, and we'll preview the game. But let's just. I, I just want to. First of all, Minnesota, the city, is no. Uh, nobody's going to this game except Philly fans. You know, good for Philadelphia because that's a fan base that travels because they haven't had a Super Bowl. They haven't had, a uh, you know, a title since 1916 football. Patriots, like, who really, who's going to be, who's going to be going? Like, yeah, this is old hat. If it becomes old hat for you as a fan, then nobody's showing up to it. Um, and Viking <laughs> Believe me, the place will be packed. Right, of course the the place will be packed. But what I'm saying is, the you usually get the people in the city to come up. Hey, this is happening in our backyard. Like people in New York for the for the New York Super Bowl at Giant Stadium, MetLife Stadium. I mean, it was the Broncos and the Seahawks, like two Western, you know, two Western time zone teams. Right. Right, but so people. This is, this is the Northeast. Right. So people in the West care. No. Well, first of all, you're talking about not only um, not because there are a few nationwide teams or, you know, uh, 
continent-wide teams. There's the the Cowboys, the Steelers, the Giants, the Raiders, the Packers. Well, that's a lot right there. Right, but what I'm saying is like that's a fan. Those have fan bases from sea to shining sea. You know, so here here are the Patriots who everybody hates. So everybody in the AFC <laughs> hates the Patriots. And I don't think everybody hates them. Who? Who doesn't? No, no. It, aside from you know the from the New England states, from Maine to Connecticut, who who else likes them? Where is their other fan base hub? You know, the Cowboys they have a large fan base out in Southern California because once the Rams and the Chargers, uh, you know, the Rams and the Raiders left, and the Chargers didn't do much, and Arizona didn't do much for years. Cowboy country went out west. All the way over to uh, Southern California, you know. Uh, I mean, Steeler fans—you'll find Steeler fans everywhere. They're not just some, you know, pocket by three rivers. And right. Uh, well, you're talking about dynasty teams, right? Dynasty teams, you know. Pete, you yeah, know, San Francisco's San Francisco. That's another one too. But at this point, the right. no, the Patriot. There aren't Patriot fans nationwide. There just aren't. So. Well, they set the standard for winning. Right, I understand they've you know set the standard, but what I'm saying is that okay. So and the Eagle fans, nobody likes the Eagles. If you think about the well, NFC, not people like the Eagles. They don't like the Eagles fans. Well, that too. Well, that's a big part of it too. But again, speaking about the Cowboys, you've got Cowboy fans nationwide right. who hate the Eagles. They don't want to see the Eagles. They don't want to see the Eagles win. So you've got the NFC East contingent of New York, which is where we are in this hub. And again, Giants are a nationwide team too. You've got the... uh, They're playing up the underdog role. No, they absolutely are. They absolutely are. So it's just going to be not as interesting of a Super Bowl leading up to it. Once the game starts, the game is the game. You know, you'll you'll find something to to root or follow in the game, but leading. Well, I guess the, the question is: Did the Eagles play their best game? They may have. I mean, when you think and about how do you improve on that? Well, when you think about how many times a team has dominated in a in a uh, conference championship game, and then in the Super Bowl, you know, has yeah. How does it project? Probably not good. Not good. So I think it's an offer. Right. And then, you know, uh, along with the fact that this is Brady and Belichick and it's, you know, Brady versus, uh, a, you know, a, a sophomore coach and Belichick versus a backup quarterback, like it, it it doesn't bode well for the Eagles. But they, they do relish that. They they do like that aspect of being the underdog and having no respect. You know, the chanting, bring on Brady. We want Brady. Right. And I do, and I kind of told you this. I do. Yeah, the people say that about Alabama too. Oh, boy, did they! Uh, and that came down to one play, really, or two at least. So when when I'm thinking about this, I'm seeing a lot of similarities between the 1990 Super Bowl of uh, Bills Giants. Again, backup quarterback for the Giants. Um, now they won a very tight game in their championship game, and the Bills blew out the Raiders in that game. So that doesn't quite match up, but you've got this established nobody. No, again, just like we said, they're relishing this role of underdog, but it's not like it's not warranted. People are not giving the Eagles a chance in the Super Bowl. So I'm thinking, I there might be no, some. The Lions five and a half, so right. Yeah, they're good. They're they're given a chance. And the Patriots always play a close Super Bowl. I think the largest margin of victory was six points. Well, I'm wondering if they ever covered. Uh, I think they covered. Did they beat the Rams? The, um, no, the Rams. Uh, they didn't cover. No, I don't think they've. I think they've covered one. I think the one they covered was. They were an underdog. Mm, hold on, hold. On. I think. The, uh, which was the one? It wasn't the first three Super. It wasn't like the the first five Super Bowls they didn't yeah. cover. Well, they they generally don't cover. Put it that way. Either the Seahawks, they covered, or the yeah. I no, think the, no, they came back. They covered that. I'm. Th- I think so. I, I can. I can take a look real quick. But I'm almost positive that was the one because none of the first three Super Bowls they covered because they won those by, I think three yeah. points was the was the total or something two to three points. Right. Um. 
one. I mean, hey, right. what does that tell you? Right. Um, you know, so I, again, they they play close games, so I'd be very surprised to see that, that that doesn't happen. I wouldn't even be surprised to know, find out, you know, watching the game that the Patriots are losing at halftime because that's kind of what we expect. Um. Um. So I see that being part of it. Um, um, you know, hey, they they find out what you got first. Mm-hmm. You know, they and and they overcome it. Yeah. All right, let's see. Let me pull this up real quick. Uh, let's see. Seattle was um, Seattle was a one was minus one against New England, and New England won twenty eight twenty four. So uh, New England covered that. Let's yeah, see. Yeah, on, on a crazy play at the end, right? Right. Yeah that that one where they were they were underdogs. They were the underdogs. Um, New England was the favorite, and they won. They covered. Le- uh, they did not cover. They did not cover last year because they were minus three. Um, and then let me go back. St. Louis was a, was a fourteen point favorite against New England. Right. New England was a seven point favorite over. Oh, actually, they did. Okay, they did cover. No, wait. They were seven point favorite over Carolina, and they won by two, three points. No, they didn't cover. New England was a seven-point favorite against Philadelphia, and they won by three. So they didn't cover there. Right, right. Um, against the Giants, they were a 12-point favorite. Um, they, they lost outright. Yeah, they lost outright. And then they were a two-and-a-half favorite against the Giants uh, in, uh, was that, 40-46? So, and they, and they, they lost by four, so they didn't cover there. So yeah, they've only covered two, one. They've only covered one of them. Right. Right. So and they they were an underdog. Yeah. 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 So and they're so not. There you go. So you know. They're not an underdog this time. Spread at your own risk. Yeah, absolutely. So, but we'll get more into the actual game itself uh, next week because you know it's it's still early, and plus there's other things to talk about, which I want to get to. Actually, and we, another big news that came out today, actually earlier today at this recording, Thursday, or I'm sorry, Wednesday night, is the um, Major League Baseball's uh, Hall of Fame voting has come through. And uh, so we have four four, ent- uh, four uh, baseball players going into the Baseball Hall of Fame. We've got Chipper Jones, Vladimir Guerrero. Well, really? Yeah. Uh, you know, but that doesn't sound very exciting. Well, here's 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 um, Vlad's uh, all-time stats: 449 homers, uh, four shy of 1,500 RBIs, uh, batting average of 318. I mean, that's that's Hall of Fame numbers there. Um, Chipper is a first ballot Hall of Famer, and he's in. And so is Jim Tomey, which mm. I, I I heard a study. It's like the third, only the third, second or third, first ballad first baseman to go in. Like he joins McCovey and I think one other person. Mm. Um, Vlad won an MVP in two thousand four, in which he batted three thirty seven with thirty nine home runs and one hundred twenty six RBIs. He won a tie. Um, no, he did not win a World Series. Um, with a, that's the other th- the the one knock on on Guerrero is he wasn't he, his teams never made the went far in the World Series um, or I'm sorry in the, in the playoffs. Um, his and he didn't always perform well in the playoffs either. He, he had a uh, yeah. So what did he do? Is he accumulated this or I mean. You know, it, it's not a standout to me. I mean, when we look back, because remember, this was in the early aughts, early to mid um, aughts, the 2000s, that first decade. So you've got Bonds and Sosa and Maguire. And he also started his career in Montreal. So he was kind of lost there. And then he goes out to, you know, the Angels, which if it's a Dodger town and he's on the Angels. You know, and right. and he came after being on the White Sox. Exactly, and he exactly he came after their World Series, 
and they constantly had in and outs in the playoffs, um, first or second round defeats. They didn't go very far. His all-time playoff batting average is two sixty-three. But, I mean, in the MVP voting, he was top four, so he won an MVP. Twice was he third, and then he was also fourth a time as well in the MVP voting. Um, a constant All-Star, uh, nine-time All-Star, eight-time Silver Slugger Award winner. So, you know, in that era where, you know, the voters are trying to weed out who was and who wasn't on the juice, you know, Vlad fits that, um, he, he fits that profile. Um, Chipper Jones got in. He was a first ballot Hall of Famer, uh, an MVP, Larry. Um, he also has a, what do you have? Controversial. A little bit, especially off the field afterwards. Um, he was, uh, very sadly a, uh, uh, Sandy Hook denier, but um, for on the field, 468 home runs, 1600 RBIs, a 303 batting average, the bane of every Met fan's existence. I took great pleasure in chanting Larry at him numerous times. <laughs> so he is true. So he is now a first ballot Hall of Famer. He's in. Jim Tomey also a first ballot Hall of Famer now. Again, in that steroid era, he was the real deal. I mean, he was the modern day Paul Bunyan. 612 home runs, one shy of 1,700 RBIs, a 276 batting average, but, you know, those 600 home runs kind of make up that difference. I mean, he was good wherever he played. He'd never, uh, you know, he he was big. In his time, but if I remember correctly, yeah, he was never an MVP. He was only a five time All Star. But again, that's first base. That's tough to really overcome. He hit uh, in in what was what, 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 what. he had forty nine homers, fifty two, forty seven, forty two in uh, consecutive years. Um, I mean, he and he walked a lot. He walked. He struck out a lot too. He led the league in strikeouts three times. He batted lefty. He was a left-handed batter. Yep. Um, started off in Cleveland. He helped that that in you know that Cleveland Indian late '90s, early 2000s machine. Went to Philadelphia for three seasons, and injury caught you know cost him his job because when he got injured in '05, up came Ryan Howard, and the rest, as they say, is history. And there you go. Um, he moved around from the White Sox to the Dodgers for a little bit, Minnesota, because I believe he's from. He's from Peoria, Illinois, so he's a Midwestern guy. So he liked, you know, Minnesota, Cleveland again, right. stuff like that. And then the other one was Trevor Hoffman. Trevor Hoffman, uh, at one time the all-time saves leader until Mariano Rivera came in. Not good in the playoffs, but as a uh, as a closer, a two eighty seven ERA, um, six hundred and one saves. Um, you know, he was good. 1,100, uh, 1100 strikeouts, 300 walks. Um, he was, you know, reliever of the year. Um, well, relief pitchers of you know, a big deal in modern baseball. Well, yeah, of course. Um, he finished second in the Cy Young voting in 1998 when the uh, Padres went to the World Series. Um, is, is Nick Foles a closer? <laughs> we'll have to find out. Uh, oh, he also finished second in the Cy Young in 2006. Uh, I mean, look, he was really good. The playoffs, right. you know, they were there a couple times, and he didn't do very well. His ERA in the playoffs was 346. Uh, he had a terrible World Series against the Yankees. <laughs> it doesn't matter. You get in the World and you, you get in the Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame is the Hall of Fame. Edgar yeah, Mar- for baseball, yeah. Yeah, Edgar Martinez just on the outside at 70%. And he's he's likely getting because next year is his last year on the ballot, so it's right. it's very, another all star. Uh you know what? I disagree. Edgar Martinez. I mean, first of all, he's got a lifetime three hundred, four hundred, five hundred split. Uh, all time, he's a over three hundred hitter. His on base percentage was over four hundred, and his slugging percentage for his career was over five hundred. That's rare. I mean that's rare. You, you can you'll barely find those in other right. Hall of Famers. Um, but I mean, he two-time batting champ. He battles a long way away. Of course, it's a long way away. He does have some playoff um, moments. The one against the Yankees. I mean, 
in in the first the first time of the uh, divisional series, five games against the Yankees, he bat he batted five seventy one. I mean, he was something else, especially then. Didn't do anything against Cleveland the following series, but that was a really good Cleveland team. Um, uh, lifetime in the playoffs, two sixty six average. Uh, he killed it in the divisional series, three seventy five though. Um, you know, he's a he's a full time DH. And look, if we're gonna put in in Big Poppy David Ortiz, how can you not then put in Edgar Martinez? That's like saying this is what happens. You open the gate, and anybody gets in. Right, but this isn't just some schmo. It's not even a position player. I mean, what's happened to the game? There's a bunch of specialists. Yeah, of course. But yeah, this guy does this. This guy does that. I only do this. Well, I don't you see. Know. To be fair, I don't in in football. I don't see any more two way players. Like everybody's every every sport has a specialist. Everybody does. Hockey, yeah. basketball, they all have specialists. In baseball, designated hitters specialist. And if we're going to say yeah, relief pitcher, right? But look, you can't put in Mariano Rivera or Trevor Hoffman without putting in. Well, Rivera is all by himself. There's right. Rivera, and then there's everyone else that ever picked up a baseball in relief. Right. In but, my mind. But what it's I'm, not even close. You know? No. So, you know, Jeter, all these guys, uh, Tory, you know, they all credit need to credit him. Because without him, none of that would have happened. Right. And Rivera is, he's that. He was a shut down guy. And he's. You know, that's all the time, every time. Yes. And he, he is that fourth, that fourth face on the Yankees. Yeah. Um, so that's different. No, don't be putting everybody else like they're Rivera. They're not. No, they're not Rivera. But the way had to be paved by somebody like Bruce Souter. Was yeah, Bruce Souter? Okay. Right. Yeah, but so what I'm saying that, is that's it, not who we're talking about. No. You know, when we're talking about an all-time great. Right. But for, to to think that to put into a reliever in the Hall of Fame was outlandish years ago, and then Souter. And Eckersley, both deserving of going into the Hall of Fame, now somebody like Hoffman and, of course, Rivera can go in and whoever becomes a dominant reliever in the future. Same thing with the designated hitter. How are you going to put in Ortiz without... Only half the league, only half of baseball does that. Right. That is true. I think... think, Let's have, you know, we can have a half-size Hall of Fame. I'm just saying I am in favor, and quite frankly, it'd, it'd be some well, it sort of... It doesn't represent all of baseball. No, it doesn't represent all of baseball, but... No, it's half of it. Right. Yeah, so... But, Cy, yeah. but I mean, Cy Young doesn't represent I mean, where if, we are if now. all of baseball can't agree on the position at all, I think they're all the same position. Well, quite not. Because it is. Because, like you said, it's a specialist. Look, we're... Well, for half the league, yeah. Well... You talk about somebody like Bill Mazeroski who's in the Hall of Fame, and he. so many people say he didn't do well, it. It's a World Series that I can't forget about. Right. But if we're going to base it on one playoff series, then Mark Lemke can go in because that man was well, amazing. Well, this is what you're saying. You, you, you lower the bar and you let anybody in. Well, here, bring, here comes well, that's my... that's the problem with doing these things. I understand that. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take criticism. But... What I'm saying is, this then leads the the question to Omar Vizquel, his first year on the ballot, jumped up to 22% on his first, and he's just a glove. And I'm not talking just a glove, a great glove. So he's getting based on his defense, as opposed to so many others in the future and so many other people who say, you need to be a well-rounded player, a full-rounded player to get into the Hall of Fame. How are you only going to get in on your glove, on your defense? When I'm saying that Vizquel, right now at 22%, has a very good chance t- towards the end of his eligibility of getting in. The same way Ozzie Smith is in. The same way Bill Mazeroski is in. Because, yes, he had one great moment, and it was a fantastic moment in the 1961 World Series. 60. 60, my apologies, 60 World Series. He was primarily known for his glove, not his bat. So the specialists are not done. It's not as if DH is the last bastion yeah. of this. That's well, all I'm saying. I think they're watering down the whiskey and, you know, I, I think, and the popularity as well. I th- Well, I think that that's uh, kind of true in, in both senses, yes. I think that there look, are there guys in the Hall of Fame that I don't think should be Hall of Famers? Yeah. I really don't like the idea that Mike Mussina is going to be in the Hall of Fame, and he's going to because he's at 63%, and he's still got two years left on the ballot. And right. he's at 63%, and everybody jumps like twenty, like something like 10 to 20% every year, and Mussina is going to get in. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. 
He had almost a four ERA, but he's an all star. Right, exactly. I'm saying there are some all stars that I think are in the Hall of Fame that shouldn't be there. Like they have to have two, three, four, five guys a year. I mean, who who said that? They didn't. Hey, for a long time, it was just two guys. Barry Larkin and, and Burt Blylevin were only like and two now, or three years ago. And now? and now it's four guys. And next year, it's likely going to be Edgar Martinez, Mariano Rivera. Here, let me look at the ballot for next year because it's, it's, it's pretty much going to be that as well. Um, let me see if I can find it real quick. Uh, voting 2000. So here's the 2019. Here's who's going to be on the ballot then. You've got... Uh, who's a big one that you're going to see? Okay. Mariano Rivera, Roy Halladay, Todd Helton, Andy Pettit, Miguel Tejada. These are some of the big names that you're probably going to hear about next year. Mariano Rivera is going to get in. Well, Pettit's interesting because now he's the guy that admitted to steroids. Right. It was an accident. Mm -hmm. It was an accident. It was my mistake. I did this. I did that. Yeah, right. I accidentally got it got it stuck in my butt or, or whatever his excuse was. Right. Um, yeah, so you let him in or get let him sniff it, and then the next thing you know, you know, you can make a case for everyone else. Well, Pettit has 100 more wins than losses. His ERA is right. very high. Yeah, but we're talking about steroid era. Right, I know. And this guy admittedly used steroids. And he was Clemens' best friend. So, you know, and Clemens, uh, Clemens and Bond... I'm saying, so now let's deal with that issue. Well, that's what they kind of are doing. Like, you see, you know, Bonds and Clemens made very little movement upwards. Uh, Sosa's pretty much, he's, he's dead in the water at like 22% or something. He's just, <laughs> he's down there. Manny Ramirez actually had a good showing, and he is one who, not just once, but likely twice, you know, um, got caught testing positive, and he came in at like 20%, which is a lot higher than people thought. Now, here's the one that I was very surprised at, and he's off the ballot now. He's gone. Johan Santana. I mean, he was, quite frankly, a modern-day Koufax. I mean, his... What? What what do you mean, what? What? What, as in what? You couldn't believe it. He's a modern-day Sandy Koufax. Yes. Yeah. Here, I'm going to give... He's an opportunist. Uh... I'm just saying, look, in a... And he doesn't have a, a no-hitter either. Yes, he, well, he, he technically he does, but no, I understand what you're meaning. Um, yeah, so what I'm saying, what is, this is, can't believe what I'm hearing. He, in a three-year span in which he won two Cy Youngs. Now, what, what was Koufax's peak? Five years? Six yeah, years? Yeah, I mean, this is a whole, yeah, we're talking a whole different era. We're talking about... A difference in you know surgeries and all kinds of things. So listen. So here are the statistics, and this is mind you in the steroid era. So I'm actually I'm going to make this five years, 2004 to 2008. Okay. Yeah. Um, here is his wins. Here are his wins year by year, or his win loss. Twenty and six, sixteen and seven, nineteen and six, fifteen and thirteen, sixteen and seven. Okay. Here is ERAs. Two sixty one led led the league. 287. 277 led all of baseball in 06. 333. And then 253, also leading all of baseball. He led the league in starts two times at 34. So he was durable during that time. Over 230 innings, four out of those five years. Led the major leagues in strikeouts two years, and then the American League in a third. He had, I mean, his strikeouts per nine innings were 10. Nine, 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 and 7.9. I mean, this guy was a workhorse during that time. Compared to Koufax, while the win total wasn't there, a lot of that stuff was very similar. And from 2004 to 2008, there was not a more dominant pitcher than Johan Santana. But he's off, so what does it matter? He's gone. Um, he, his no-hitter came on a fluke. I, I absolutely admit to that, and he fell off real fast when his fastball started to, you know, slow down to the speed of his his changeup because he was devastating when he had a giant split between his fastball in the high nineties and his changeup, you know, high seventies. As soon as his arm started to tire, I mean, look, that's a lot of innings for one right. man. So you know, he he fell off at a he fell off real fast. 
As soon as he went to the Mets, go figure. Um, he fell off real fast. Yeah, exactly. So only 6% of the vote, or I'm sorry, uh, I think like 2% of the vote, and you need 5 to stay on, so he's gone. That's it. No. Hard to believe. Well, there is some justice, I guess. Yeah, I suppose. So that's baseball, so we'll have to see. Um, still not. Still yeah, now, what's going on with the contracts? I mean, I, I hear these people are uh, they're not getting picked up. No, no. J.D. Martinez has a deal as an offer on the table from the Red Sox for like seven years for like $150 million, and he's like he's he's one player who's like, really, that much for a guy like that? He's good. He's not that good. Darvish is just playing games. He's he's getting all these offers, but he's just like, I, I think I'll wait a little bit longer. Some players are saying, I'm going to sit out as long as it takes. I don't care. I'll sit out. A lot of it well, is... Then you suspect the prices will drop. Well, of course the prices are going to drop. And, you know, one guy's willing to sit and wait until somebody gets hurt in, pre- in uh, spring training and then go, fine, we'll give you the money. Uh, it's not likely to happen. And the other thing is that a lot of these clients are... A lot of these guys are Boris clients. And we know... How we know Boris's mo get the most for my client, like any good agent, but you know nobody's biting and it's so quiet. I mean, right now the off season winner is the Giants because they traded for Evan Longoria and right, Andrew right. McCutcheon. You know, I, it, yeah. it, it's unbelievable. You know, and it, our you know our Mets, you know, is I mean it's it's just ridiculous. Um, you know, the Wilpons not willing to spend money. You know, they're looking to pick up a couple of major league players for minor league contracts. Like, not like guys who deservedly need minor league contracts. Like, hey, you're a major league pitcher, but we want to sign you a minor league contract. You know, I, I mean, it it is a sort of dirty word, collusion, but, you know, uh, market uh, restoration might be a better word for it. But it, it's just, it's so, it's so weird. And especially in the major leagues, you know, when major when MLB Network has like, oh, a hot stove episode and all this stuff, and they're really pushing, you know, things. A lot of things happen in the off season. Nothing is happening in this off season, <laughs> and it's ridiculous. Yeah, they're killing the golden goose. It's absolutely true. The NFL is doing it. Major League Baseball is next. Yeah, it really is. Uh, one yeah, sport. They're getting stupid with the prices. Yeah. One sport that is not suffering, at least at the box office and ratings-wise, is the NBA. They're chugging along. I mean, the ratings have never been higher for them. Um, I mean, they're they're very popular. The NBA is very popular. They have big stars right now. James, Durant, Curry, um, Westbrook. I mean, on well, and on. Well, James and on. just hit, what, what did he hit, 30,000? The youngest to 30,000 points in a game in which the Cavaliers lost, which is kind of... You know that kind of speaks to their season. They're in third. They're in third place right now in the East. They're twenty-seven and nineteen, which is not what you expect from a Cleveland team. Apparently, there's talk. About, you know, we talked about last time how there have been coded messages sent up to the front office of the Cavaliers, like "Help us, we are, we're, we're losing it in you know the locker room." James is, you know, something's going on. And apparently, it's it's Isaiah Thomas. Apparently, he's starting to poison the water over there. You know, this this is a guy who's barely... Oh, yeah, it's never going to be uh, LeBron. No. and Well, it doesn't help that LeBron is not saying what he's going to do in the offseason. He's going to leave Cleveland again? He's going to go where? Yes, he's still the best player on the court. But to just be like... Is that true? I mean, pretty much. I mean, you might be starting to split hairs, cause, but still at his age, to do what he's doing, you know, in, in, in such an you know, individualized game as the NBA, as much of it's a team game, it's also an individualized game because you're the one holding the ball. You can run up and down the court and just have your teammates stand there and watch. So, you know, he's still doing really well for 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 that. But apparently Isaiah Thomas, who's barely played all season, he's running his mouth. He's getting on Kevin Love, which apparently nobody likes, but now that he's getting on Kevin Love, everybody's like, hey, what you? he's at least been playing. What have you been doing? And then, to add to that, the Spurs have had their own article pop up on ESPN, a la the the Patriots article, in which uh, Kwani Leonard uh, um, is saying that he's disenfranchised with the Spurs and he wants out and Popovich ain't doing it for me and all this stuff, you know, which is very... It's a player, it's a player league. Oh, of course it's a player league because there's no helmets, there's no masks, there's no hats. You see them. 
not only did you see their face, you know their tattoos, you know their shoe brand, you know everything about them. Right. They're personalized. Of course. And that, because it's a player-driven... It's the, it's the key to their success. Right. When you, you don't put on those marquee games to say, Warriors, Cavaliers, you put it on to say, Curry versus James. Right. James versus Westbrook. Durant versus Westbrook. Right. You know, Kyrie versus and James. And it works. It works. Of course. Because it's not about, it's not it, for the NBA, and it works for them, is not about the name on the front, it's the name on the back. There you go. But yeah, which is how it works for them. So. so that's going good. And the Olympics are coming up soon after after the Super Bowl. So that's going to be... That's the Winter Olympics? Winter Olympics in Pyeongchang. Not nearly as popular. No. The figure skating, what do you look forward to? Ski jump? Uh, I look forward to figure skating. I look forward to hockey, both men's and women's. Speed skating. I love speed skating. I was a big peekaboo, uh, uh, not peekaboo streets. Uh, who's the who's the speed skater? Uh, Bonnie Blair. I really, when I was a kid, Bonnie Blair was awesome. To you me. liked it. Yeah. I thought she was awesome. I thought she was speed great. Speed skating. Yes, yeah, speed skating. Paulo Ono. With your hands behind your back. And then, you know, using the fingertips as you're going around the curve, that stuff's awesome. Nice. That's great. Then the lane crossover. Yes. Oh, and then, yeah, when I go skating, I really, I I book it, you know, I try on the straightaways, I try to almost emulate them, you know, the real (laughs) chugging the arms and really trying to get some short, um, Short skate distances to really. I love that crossing over the leg on the turn. Oh, it's beautiful, and it's done so you know synchronized. Yeah, sure. The luge is awesome. It's you against the clock. You luge and bobsled, and look, the U.S. is you know they've got the most medals in the Summer Olympics. They dominate in the summer, but Norway is is the clear leader in the Winter Olympics. Um, I mean. Let me find out exactly how many they have. They right, have it okay a, to praise Norway? Huh? Is it okay to praise Norway? Uh, uh, Olympically-wise, yes. You oh, okay. Uh, okay. Uh, I, want to, I want to make sure. 329 medals uh, for the Winter Olympics. Remember, there are less games, less countries, you know. Right. I mean, this is the most, con- the most countries that ever uh, was 89, and that was last year uh, in Russia and Sochi. Um, and yeah, Russia's, even though Russia, the Russia banner will not fly, the Russian athletes will be going to South Korea and so will North Korea. And actually they're going to have a unified performance at the opening ceremonies. Will North Korea and South Korea, I think uh, 140, um, musicians or, or delegates from North Korea will come down and perform with South Korea, which will be a big deal. I mean, it is, you know, the games of peace and, you know, whatever. So it'll be interesting. Does it legitimize a brutal regime? You got to think so, but at the same time, there's a lot Anything of Anything goes. Well, there's I'm all, okay. You're okay. Well, there's a lot of history, as we know historically. Group hug between the Koreas. It's a big deal to to have them intersect like this. So, you know, I don't. Is that going to solve? Is that going to solve the peace there? No. Is that going to oust a supreme leader? No. Does appeasing a monster ever work? <clears throat> no, it doesn't. But you know, for many countries, they still try that that method. But uh, we'll see. Um, Alex uh, wanted to uh, leave a note, so I will let Alex take this part. We'll be back in just one moment. Hey, Chad, it's Alex. Your London correspondent is heeding the call to uh, give you guys uh, an update on the English Premier League. Um, after a, a week where Liverpool play league leaders Man City and probably one of the best games of the season so far, um, a real advert for the Premier League. If you only watch uh, one game this year, I'd recommend watching it. Um, initial worry for Liverpool when coming into the game, they were uh, without their multi-million pound uh, starting defender Virgil van Dijk, um, but very quickly took the lead. Um, 1-0. Um, Alex Oxlade Chamberlain with the opening goal before uh, Man City ended up taking them back to one all. Um, and then two pretty amazing goals in different ways, including a, a 40 yard uh, sort of strike um, from uh, Sane, uh, restoring Liverpool's lead to 3 1 and then eventually 4 1 um, before Man City uh, 
made it real tight at the end, uh, ending uh, ending the game four three. Two late goals, uh, late drama as uh, Sergio Aguero heads into the side netting, um, with the whole stadium thinking it had gone in, and they just scored the equaliser for four four. But uh, yeah, so Man City's uh, first loss of the season, uh, uh, the Arsenal unbeatables uh, popping open a. A glass champagne to celebrate the uh, still being the only undefeated team to ever make it through an entire Premier League season. Um, so yeah, again, recommend watching the game if you can find it. Um, but it's uh, led to a lot of discussions in the media about how how is how it if this is, this is the only way to beat Man City is to kind of play them at their own game. This very high pressing, um, fast attacking game. Um, we'd seen earlier um, Bristol City almost achieve uh, an amazing draw against uh, Man City with a very similar style. Um, and I think the difference between sort of Bristol City and Liverpool in that respect has been the attacking quality that Liverpool can bring to bear um, once they do get possession. Um, but yeah, I think from the Man City perspective, no real panic. They're still 15 points clear of their nearest competitors at the top of the Premier League. And I think now that now that the pressure is off of the undefeated season, they can just get back to sort of winning games and winning them well. So, yeah, a little bit of history being broken. Um, would have been exciting to see the run continue. But, um, yeah, hopefully I'll keep you updated. Uh, we're currently in the middle of the uh, transfer window, so expect to see a couple of big-name players still move. Um, Alexis Sanchez from Arsenal is still up in the air. Man City, Man United, a late Liverpool interest reported. But, um, yeah, once it all shakes down, I'll uh, give you another call. Love the show. Bye. Alex, thank you very much for your report from across the pond. Um, yeah, Liverpool def- giving Man City its first loss of the season. Right now, Man City is, let me take, take a look. They're 21-2-1, um, and one, so one loss, two draws. Um, they lead Man U by, was that four, 12 points? 12 overall points? I mean, well. Yeah, they've got a 52 goal differential plus 52 goal differential. Ooh. Yeah, Liverpool is the is fourth in that. So you know, a number four beating a number one. If you look at it that way, that's a big deal. Nothing's forever. No, it's not. Nothing is. But and it, of course, uh, the maybe the Patriots can lose. Oh boy, would I? Oh boy, would I? Wouldn't give for that. I'm just tired. Like when we talk about it, when we talk about those. T- Here's how the conversation. Wow. Brady's really good. He's the greatest. And then we're done. Like, there's nothing else to talk about with the Patriots. It's it's tiresome. It's sickening almost. Yes, yeah, so, <laughs> and I, I'm, of course, we're all going to look back, wow, we had it so great with, with one dominant player. But right now we're sick of it. Nobody wants to see it anymore. So well, that's enough of that. We'll talk more about the game next week. Sure. Sure. All right, Dad, thanks very much for joining me this week. I appreciate it. Anytime, son. All right. Thank you very much. Alex, thank you for your report. And Andrew, take it away. This has been another episode of Everyman Sports. The show's music is Cold Funk by Kevin McLeod and is licensed under CC Attribution 3.0. Everyman Sports can be found on Facebook.com, where you can like it to receive updates and news. Visit Everyman Sports in the iTunes Store to leave a review of the show. Also, Visit everymansports.podbean.com directly to comment and support. Everyman Sports can be contacted directly at everymansports at gmail.com.